Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 11 of Out with Susie Ruffle. As always, I need to say thank you because so many of you got in touch after last week's episode with Victoria Scone. It seemed that it really resonated with a lot of people and I'm so delighted that so many of you enjoyed it. As ever, I've got another fantastic conversation coming up with the brilliant Christopher Sweeney, who I think that you're going to love. Uh, if you're not aware of him, you, you, I feel like you might be aware of him because of his fantastic podcast, Homo Sapiens. Uh, he does lots of brilliant things and I think he's just marvellous and I'm sure you're going to love this chat. But before we get to that, as always, I will share a couple of listener emails. Okay. Hi Susie, firstly congratulations on you and your wife becoming parents. I'm sat on a train travelling for work and listening to your podcast. Firstly, I feel like I have a friend I've never met thanks to you and the podcast. I started listening at the beginning of the first lockdown and it was something I look forward to each week. I grew up in a small town in West Wales and it wasn't until I was 20 that I realised what my feelings are. Only as I've got older I realised a massive part of my not knowing would have been section 28. I left sixth form in 2008 and there were no out people in my year at school, which is crazy thinking about it now. You said a few weeks ago that one of, on one of the episodes that you used the term gay for yourself because you didn't like the word lesbian. I completely resonated with you because growing up, even my mum asked, are you a lesbian in a weird and judgmental voice? I knew that I was fascinated by Heather Peace in London's Burning and the programme Sugar Rush. And when I was asked at sleepovers who my crushes were, I always wondered why in my head I was thinking about the girls in F Club 7 or Cheryl Cole when everybody else was saying David Beckham. I didn't know any gay men growing up and there was one lesbian couple in a brass band I played in. I must have subconsciously known, although I didn't know, because I used to mention to my mum that different people were gay just to see what her reaction was. I went to uni in Bangor and in Freshers' Week, I studied music for a year, we stumbled across an LGBTQIA plus night. I was fascinated by it. I even got my friend to pretend I was taking a photo of her so I could take a photo of two men kissing, as I'd never seen that before. Ridiculous when I think back about it now. I used to joke to my friends that we should go back to the gay night one day, but we never did. It wasn't until two years later, when I went on a band trip, that I had my first kiss with a woman. It sounds like a cliche, but that kiss changed my life. She wasn't an out gay woman, and one night after a few drinks, I said, I've never kissed a woman, and so we kissed. I spent the next few weeks being ridiculously confused because the kiss was like a light bulb moment. This is me. I had so many feelings about what this is and what people will think, and how will I come out, and how will I have a girlfriend, and how will I meet other lesbians? I changed courses after a year and went to a different uni in 2010 and ended up staying in a girls' hall. 
I met some amazing friends there, but in the first week, I met my now wife. We met on the steps of our halls. She was doing the same course as me and was a town a few miles from where I grew up, and she worked in the same place that I'd worked in a year before. We became friends, and that friendship, we realised, was more than friendship. And 12 years later, we're married, we have a house, two dogs, and we've recently started the process to apply to become parents through adoption. Our families are so accepting now, but the journey was definitely not easy. When I came out, my gran was really mean, saying things like I needed counselling and that I was a dyke and that I would never get a job. My wife, Abby, said that we should split up because I needed a relationship with my gran. I said I absolutely would not. My gran is still here now, and now she sends Abby a granddaughter card for her birthday, which is amazing. I love your podcast, because if I'd had it growing up, it would have been amazing to hear people with similar stories to me. I went to Soho for the first time last year, and I literally found like Colin in It's a Sin, seeing the gay scene for the first time. I'd love to have had more LGBT spaces though, coffee shops, etc., rather than clubs. It's just lovely to be around similar people. Since then, when I go and visit my friends in London, we will go to Cafe Nero in Soho and people watch. The main reason I mention this is because I was amazed with how lovely and inclusive Soho is. We're going to our first London Pride this year and I'm so excited. I absolutely love the LGBTQ plus history and would love to speak to some older gay people and hear their experiences. We've come so far, but we still have a long way to go. So many times we have to come out, new jobs, new doctors. I loved your sketch in your Amazon Prime special about the smear test. Thank you very much. I'd love to get to a stage where I can hold my wife's hand in public in this country or abroad and for not people to assume that we're sisters. Imagining asking a straight person if their partner is their sibling. Wow, enough rambling for now. I told you, I feel like you're a friend that I've never met and I really was offloading, wasn't I? But thank you, Susie. Thanks for being a friend that I've never met. And if I was asked the question that you ask all the guests on your podcast, I would say, Charlotte, be yourself. You'll be happy and it's not as scary as you think and people will love you for being you and for making them laugh. You'll learn a lot about yourself and other people and you'll end up with a beautiful wife and you'll have to correct people thousands of times that it's her rather than him. But everything will be okay and being gay is going to be just wonderful. Thank you, Susie. And that's love from Charlotte, 32, from, I think it's Lilethny? I think that's how you say it, Lilethny. That's me having a go at pronouncing a Welsh place. I hope that I got it right, Charlotte. I think it's something like that. I'm so sorry. It's a Welsh place. Um, but that was my best crack at it. Um, thank you so much for your, uh, for your email and uh, for listening to the podcast and for being such a fan and for feeling like I'm a friend. I love that. If you ever come to a show, come and say hello. And I really appreciate sharing your story with us. And it's so brilliant that your gran came around and I think lots of people do as I've said before in this show quite often people's first response isn't their best response and so it's really positive to hear when people move forward take a step in the right direction isn't it because everyone can do it and you just got sometimes we've got to give people a bit of the time which can be really frustrating for us but if they get there in the end it always feels positive or at least that's how I feel. And I'm interested, Charlotte, that you brought up that thing about me not liking the word lesbian. I think as I'm getting older, I like it more. But you're absolutely right. It was something that people would say to me in such a negative way that for a long time I really had ownership of the word gay. I was a gay woman. And as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm now liking the word lesbian more. But again, that's us, isn't it? It's, we're all growing, we're all changing all the time. And I think that's the thing. Don't be afraid to change your opinions on these things. But thank you for getting in touch and much love to you and Abby and all the best in your journey to parenthood. Okay, let's have one more email and then we'll get on with today's conversation. Hello Susie, I've been listening to Out from the beginning. Thank you to all your guests for sharing their stories and experiences and to you for giving LGBTQIA plus people a platform to feel comfortable and to be themselves. 
For years, self-judgment and internalised homophobia meant I wasn't able to accept myself, let alone seek a relationship which affirmed me. Now in my early 30s, I feel much more comfortable and I'm able to take my sexuality with honesty and openness. And I think that's in part to having more queer friends and to listening to things like your podcast and realising there isn't a correct way and that queer people have a huge variety of experiences and identities. I'm now in a long-term relationship with a person who accepts everything about me. My partner doesn't see my bisexuality as something to fetishise or pass judgement on. Thank you again for the podcast. Providing queer visibility and being quite well-dressed on television. <laughs> Please feel free to read out my first name. And that's from Fiona. Thank you for saying that I'm quite well-dressed on television. As I'm sure you can imagine, Fiona, that really means a lot to me because I put in quite a lot of effort. And I'm so pleased that you accept yourself now and that your queer friends and maybe podcasts like this one have been a little part of that for you now if you do like this podcast i've got to suggest the podcast that chris sweeney our brilliant guest today hosts homo sapiens it's absolutely fantastic and i think uh, that you're probably going to really enjoy this conversation and then hoover up all of his uh, podcasts as well because they're really brilliant conversations about all things lgbtqia plus related before we get into today's conversation i'd just like to let you know that next week is the final episode of the series and it's a bit of a special one i'll be posting about it on social media letting you know i've got a very exciting guest who's going to come and talk to us i did the interview a couple of weeks ago and i think it's something quite special and i really hope that all of you enjoy it so that's next week's episode i look forward to sharing that all with you but now let's go to a conversation that i had with the fantastic christopher sweeney Hello listener, my brilliant guest today is Chris Sweeney, a podcaster, director, writer and someone that I'm really trying to befriend at the moment. If you're a podcast fan, you will undoubtedly be aware of his brilliant show, Homo Sapiens, where he has chatted to, oh, just some incredible people, including Cynthia Nixon, Jeremy Corbyn and David Sedaris, that's just to name a few. He's also directed the widely acclaimed Taurus, starring Jamie Dornan and the brilliant Back to Life. He has been widely acclaimed by the likes of The Guardian, The Times, The New York Times, Vogue and Evening Standard and, I mean, basically everyone else as well. I'm a massive fan of him and I think you're going to be too. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. As you may have noticed, Susie, I've coordinated with your wall behind you by wearing a red jumper. I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate you putting in the effort. The devil's in the detail, what can I say? It really is. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. I'm really good. I'm so excited to be chatting to you because when you came on our podcast the other day, ours, I mean mine, I don't know why I say ours, uh, we had so much fun, didn't we? We had a lovely time. And then lots of people said lots of lovely things on the internet, which is rare for people to say anything else on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Which was lovely. So we had to do the double with you coming on mine as well. Why quit a good thing, right? Exactly. What is it they say? Don't quit the hit. Do you know that saying? Well, I do now. And I've also just done a thing which I thought was quite interesting because it's never happened to me before. I made a cup of tea prior to this chat. Because it's not all glamour. It's not all glamour. <laughs> I made it myself. I accidentally put in two tea bags and it only revealed itself once the water had gone in. And I thought, isn't it funny that's never happened to me before? Because it's a bit like having getting a double yolk in an egg. You're double tea bagging. That's how well it's going. Yeah. You can double so it's tea very bag. very strong, this cup of tea. So, you, you, I, so I can get... Your full attention. You're caffeinated. Mm, I'm more of a coffee man. So, but you know, I'm going to be here. I'll be present. You'll don't be you present. worry. You're here. So, 
where should we start? I mean, I feel like there's loads of things that I want to talk to you about, directing, podcasting. To talk to me about, let's start with Homo Sapiens. Okay. Because it's a really brilliant podcast. Thanks. You're sweet. Have you been doing it for about four years? We started in 2017, I think. I think that's five years. Five years? Bloody hell. Yeah. And people think, when now people think we like invented the podcast, but actually when we did start, there were lots around, Mm -hmm. but it was slightly pre the era where everybody who is doing anything does a podcast with it. You know what I mean? Like if someone's, you know, releasing a toe cream, they also do a series of podcasts with it. But I love that toe cream podcast. (laughs) It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's really lovely. Lyrical. (laughs) So it started because me and my friend Will Young were... Clang. Clang were talking one day and we spent a lot of time talking nonsense i think it was the 50th anniversary or 30th anniversary of women's hour on radio mm-hmm. 4 yeah and i said did you know that women's hour on radio 4 actually has a 30 to 40 percent listenership of men and they therefore in the meetings have to really account for what men want to hear on women's hour isn't that hysterical that is hysterical i know and then i said oh why has no one ever done the queer version of Women's Hour? Like mm. the world from a queer perspective once um, once a week, once a day is what Women's Hour is. Mm. Crucially, I would not have said queer at that time um, because things have changed so much. Yeah. I, people weren't saying it so much then. Um, not that I have a problem with the word. Uh, and then we uh, said, oh, well, why don't we do it? And I was in a period of kind of discontent with making music videos and commercials as a director I really had been doing it for a long time and I was sort of over it and um I was looking for something that was quick and creative and what I love about podcasting is you can record it on the Monday edit it on the Tuesday and it goes live on a Wednesday Mm -hmm. for example yes and I was moving into television from music videos and commercials as a director And they were like, well, we'll shoot this in two years time type thing. And I was like, I'm not making anything. And that made me really sad. Yeah. So podcasting felt like it was a great way to do something creative. And also there was a massive gap in the market. There weren't really any queer podcasts around at that time. And so we sat down on my kitchen counter and I got out my iPhone and we recorded us talking about life which became the first episode. And then we interviewed, we wrote people postcards saying, would you like to come on our podcast? And lots of amazing people got back to us. Like, you know, uh, Owen Jones was our first ever episode. And we kind of always wanted to interlace it with being like Women's Hour. So the best thing about Women's Hour is you can have Michelle Obama on one day, but then they can be talking about bunions the next. Yeah. And... I love that. I think I would never want to do just a celebrity podcast. I would never want to just do an issues podcast because I sort of think the queer experience is so many things, right? It's Michelle Obama and Bunyans. That is the queer experience. Exactly. Both so camp in their own way. Bunyans (laughs) are pretty camp because there's quite a lot of drama in a Bunyan. (laughs) And Michelle obviously the clips. But yeah, so, you know, we... Uh, over the like you're saying in your intro like you know we've interviewed people like Stephen Fry but we've also done episodes on you know LGBT sex workers and talking directly to them and Mm -hmm. doing stuff I mean I'm now I can't think of a single title but all the stuff that faces us every day 
that's what I really love about it because it does have lots of different things like I do another podcast with Tom Allen where we just chat bollocks mm. yes and it's great we love it it's so silly <laughs> and fun but you guys take on real big subjects which I really like we do but it's interesting not in every episode but you know, you don't shy away from them. No, we don't. But at the same time, like, I think it's really interesting because, you know, like me and Will recorded ourselves chatting as friends. And then suddenly we're like, you end up in big old topics, you know, and you're like, I am so underqualified to be speaking <laughs> here. <laughs> it's actually crazy. And we actually did occasionally used to try and do news segments now and again. Mm. And we both just didn't know what to say because you need to be so up on your stuff. You can't just be like, well, I think that sounds unfair. You know what I mean? Like it's nuanced and particularly with LGBT stuff, with the terrible hatred against trans people that goes on in the press, you know, like you need to be up on stuff and making sure that what you're saying is helping and all Mm -hmm. of that. So we kind of ditched that element and changed it so that if we wanted to cover something we spoke to the people involved yes and and actually like the thing about lgbt things and certain things within news like if you think about like sex work for example they will often be a panel on a news night style show no don't specifically mean that show where it's loads of people who are not sex workers mm-hmm. talking about what sex workers should or shouldn't do yeah <laughs> and well i think they dot 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 and I've always thought that's crap and, and is actually often the case with trans people yes. and LGBT people. So it's like if we do something on sex workers, we will we will talk to sex workers. Yeah. We won't talk to people passing judgment on sex workers and ask them what they think. With this. And actually that makes it specific and personal, which I think is what podcasting is great for. It's a chat. Yeah. And talking to the sex workers episodes that we did, you know, like we spoke to people who are really happy in it and also spoke to people who... I don't know, understood the difficulties and it's, you know, and we always end up, no matter how heavy the subject, we always end up laughing because it's that kind of friendly chat thing. And what is amazing about it is I feel really lucky. I've weirdly had a slew of messages at the moment from people saying, you've really made me feel okay about myself by doing this podcast. Thank you so much. And I feel very lucky that I became friends with Will Young, who was somebody who I met because I was a music video director and I directed his videos. So creatively we met, but Will is was that person who stuck up for who he was when mm-hmm. not so many people were. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so lucky to have a friend who was had the confidence to normalise who we were, you know? And it felt like... I just sometimes with the messages that come through, I'm like, oh, I feel like perhaps Homo sapiens is doing that for other people. And people's acceptance of who and what they are is very staggered and nuanced. And some people are okay with stuff, some people still aren't. And there are days when you feel great and there are days when you don't. And so it's about trying to trickle it down, like, you know, and ensure that people know that they are valid. Even when it comes to like healthcare, you absolutely should get all the healthcare respect of a cisgender person, for example, as a trans person in your doctors. It's going to be harder, but this is how you do it, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the thing that's great is that you, rather than speaking on behalf of people or making assumptions, you just give people a platform 
to yeah to, to voice me out their water. experience yeah but i think it's i mean but none of us can get it right all the time can we so giving other people the opportunity to just give something from their perspective is so much better it's why i love interviewing people because mm. it just it just allows i don't know you just want it from the horse's mouth don't you you want an experience from someone that has lived it i love podcasting it's so still and beautiful mm. and simple in a very busy world and i do feel like as a result of podcasting i i have a built-in amazing conversation once a week with somebody who's done something incredible mm-hmm. and what a privilege and what a way to learn and grow you know and Absolutely. to see people's perspectives and i mean it's just magic and you must feel the same you are listening to out with susie ruffle a podcast <laughs> <laughs> But it is, isn't it? I mean, you must find the same. Yeah, I love it. I love podcasting. I do a number of them and mm. I, they're, they're just great. I mean, you work in telly. You know what it's like. Yeah. To get anything across the line, it's a fucking nightmare. To try yeah. and get anything... I'm not a YouTuber, although not that I think there's anything wrong with YouTubing, but that's not mm. my thing. And so I love that no one... Deci- you know, to get a TV show away, it's like... It takes years, as you mentioned before, like this will shoot in two years. Mm. But not just that, like even just getting in the room with people can take six months. Yeah. And then you've got to prove this and prove that. And is there an audience for it? Like certainly doing something as outwardly queer as this or Homo sapiens, like yeah. it's hard to imagine it on telly. Yeah. I feel like if we were in America, there's a chance it would be on TV because there's so totally. many networks and they're so much more willing to try different types of things. Mm. Whereas in this country, it's like, no, no, if we have a chat show, it will be a straight man. Thank you very much. Or Graham Norton, yeah. of course. Um, mm, the brilliant, mm, but, but always a man. But also Graham Norton's route in, by the way, was like, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Graham Norton because he's been really sweet and very supportive of the podcast. But this is just time you know graham was sort of he was definitely viewed as someone who was like avant-garde and titillating Mm -hmm. because he was gay when he first came around do you know what i mean like it was like oh what's he said now yes and he wasn't always the you know the trad the trad pillar of chat show that he was was very risque yeah and that's sort of where gay people get put you know Mm -hmm. like oh aren't they aren't they cheeky? You know, it's interesting because also like our first ever conversation about doing Women's Hour for queer people, we were like, that's why we started it as a podcast. I was like, I am not getting involved in trying to get this commissioned. Like, forget about it. I took this podcast to BBC for BBC Sounds Mm. and everyone made lovely noises about it. And then I wrote up a treatment and they just (laughs) never got back to me. Mm -hmm. And And I still don't have a response. Even though they were like, yeah. we're really into doing this. I, we, I love this idea. Yeah. And it's like, had I just waited, it just never would have been. So you have to sort of get up off your own back and do yeah. this stuff, I think, as a queer person to create. Yeah, and also like what I thought as well is like, what's the win here? Like, what if uh, let's imagine it does get on BBC Sounds or let's imagine it does become a TV show, it's going to be a diluted version of what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is great. I think podcasting is great because it's podcasting. It's unpoliced. No one checks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, lawsuits uh, are plenty. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think it's a wonderful way for people to connect. Mm -hmm. And if it was a chat show, it would have to be different. And I don't know, like, we've been asked about doing stuff, not because anyone's got money they're putting down because then I jump but it's like you know oh what do you think and you're like oh I don't know 
I don't know, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Mm. So quite often we sort of do it a bit chronologically on this show. Great. You grew up in quite an arty household, is that right? I did. My dad was a fashion photographer. My mum was a fashion stylist. That's so cool. I know. I mean, it sounds mega groovy, but like I have to qualify it as well with it was actually really normal upbringing. And I really I feel very lucky about that because it wasn't like sex, drugs and rock and roll in the house. It was kind of like quite a lot of lasagna. I don't know. The thing I loved, I love about my parents. My dad died, so he's not around anymore. But they were definitely a mum and dad, you know what I mean, who had done that stuff but weren't really interested anymore because just it's sort of... And my dad was 50 when he had me, so my mum was his second marriage, even though he'd only been married for 19 days on the first one. More on that in a second. Wow. I know, scandal. And But <laughs> they were freelancers, I suppose, is the thing that I would feel about them, is like it was a freelancer's household. And by that, my dad had been an exceptionally cool photographer who had been like best friends with David Bailey and like shot shared a studio with him in the 60s. Oh, wow. An amazing life. And he assisted, I can never remember if it was Richard Avedon or Irving Penn, but one of those huge American grandfathers of modern photography type thing. And my dad was an amazing man who grew up in Solihull in Birmingham in an engineering family. Not creative, although engineering is kind of creative, but he used to get like this fashion photography magazine posted to him from America because you couldn't get them in England. And he used to keep it under his bed. And then when he was 18, he said to his parents, like, I'm moving to America. I'm getting a boat to America because I want to go and be a fashion photographer. And they all thought he'd lost his mind. And he went to America (gasps) and went into the photography school in New York. Wow. I know. I mean, it's very my dad. He's very brave. So brave. And he'd saved up the money and all that. And he went... And he, and he went into the photography school and they said, he said, oh, I'm here, can I ro- enroll? And, he, and they said, well, we're actually midway through the term, so no. And this is how he tells it and told it and who knows. But the phone rang while he was in the office and it was someone from Irving Penn or Richard Avedon's office, I can't remember which one, um, saying, we just need, a, we need some, some kid to come and help on the, in the studio today because someone's not turned up. Have you got anyone? And the woman was like, well, I'm sitting opposite a kid from England who wants some work. So he went and <gasps> went there that day and started working for him. Wow. Great. I mean, I love it. It's like getting a boat. You know what I mean? You'd just be like, oh, I'd quite like to do it, but I can't be bothered. You know what I mean? Yeah. He did it. And that was amazing. Anyway, so then he had like this amazing career of, being a fashion photographer and things. But by the time I came on the scene, my dad was shooting for like Littlewoods and Freeman's catalogue and stuff. Like he was in Mm -hmm. the twilight of his creative career, let's say. And it was a very peaceful household, actually. Do you think that growing up with such creative parents, it sort of made you think that a creative job was... I don't know. So from my perspective, because no one in my family does anything creative other than me... um, (laughs) I didn't really realise that you could have a job yeah. being creative. But it, did it always feel like a possibility for you? Yes, it did. It did, totally. And I have to remember how lucky I am because it is the creative world is so hard, mm. but is also 
you're not actually doing anything different to anyone else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, but it's made out like someone's got some secret sauce somewhere. And then you're like, no, actually, this is really just the same as everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely felt like I was a- I was able to do it. And I suppose the thing that I, I never thought through is the lack of stability is mm. is crazy, you know. And my parents definitely lived in that way of like, there was where they were getting work and then sometimes they weren't getting work and you know Mm. my mum ran a card business on the side to supplying greetings cards shops with cards because that was like how she had steady income yeah like parents don't really talk to you about that stuff but now as I'm older I'm like oh yeah I get it like it's it's a very uncertain life which when you're in your 20s you're like this is lol you know I got invited to the L Style Awards and then when you're like close to 40 you're like I just want some consistent income I don't care what it is (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely and you just want to um breathe and not feel like you're running constantly yeah breathe and be able to allow space for other things in your life Mm -hmm. you know and be a grown-up and all those things but you know we're really lucky we're really lucky that we're able to sit here and have this conversation you know it's great i know and it's work <laughs> yeah and this is work i forgot I not that this forgot. is talking to you is never work well it's work in inverted versa, Susie. <laughs> i called you um rusey suffle today in a text oh, because like um <laughs> i was texting tom out your friend tom allen yes it then autocorrected you to rusey suffolk and i thought what a great drag name. The drag show starts tonight. All I've been waiting for is the name. So thank you for that. Um, I thought of my new drag name. Do you want Please. to know it? I'd love to. Um, Annette Zero. <laughs> I like it. She doesn't exist either. I looked. No, I just need, what do you call it? A, a taut 15 minutes or whatever. No, you just need to shave that beard. Oh, no, she might have a beard. Oh, okay, fine. Put some glitter in it. Yeah, yes. Do the glittery beard one. <laughs> so... When you were growing up, were you, and this is like a huge assumption on my part, because I'm like, if your dad worked in fashion, he was definitely friends with gay people. Oh, yeah. Were there gay people in your life? Were you aware? Yes. Yes. My godfather was a man called Gavin Robinson, and he ran a model agency called Gavin's Models. He was a gay man, and he was my mum's best friend. And he had various boyfriends one of whom I remember the most was a guy called Penguin everyone just called him Penguin and I loved him because obviously because he was like an adult called Penguin I was like Penguin (laughs) um so he was in our lives and was very much in our lives he was our godfather and got us amazing presents it's really interesting it's sort of information by omission we were never told that Gavin was gay we were particularly I'm aware that we were never told Gavin might get shit, we stick up for that. You know what I mean? It was more like, Gavin is just who he is. Mm-hmm. But there was no sense of activism about it, if that makes any sense. Which I think is si- slightly hiding it, is the reason I say it. It's, it's slightly skirting around it. But, you know, different times. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of chat about, like, oh, yeah, so-and-so's gay. Like, oh, blah, blah. So there was never any sense of homophobia. Mm. It wasn't like gay was a dirty word. 100% not it was that's what that world was you know fashion photography and all of that and I always remember that my dad was very comfortable with because my dad obviously would cast female and male models to be in his shoots and like mm-hmm. he'd always be like I don't know like if we were out somewhere for lunch or something my dad would say to my mum 
Anne, look at that guy. Isn't he great looking? You know, and I always thought that was really sweet mm. and really comfortable in his own thing. And he was amazing in that sense because he was a fashion photographer. And, you know, there's a lot of like a man taking photographs of women's bodies, you know what I mean? And he just never made it weird for them. And people really loved that. He he really sort of created this lovely atmosphere that didn't feel at all sexual. And there are a lot of fashion photographers who make things fucking weird. Yeah, absolutely. Know? But that's sort of my perception of a lot of the fashion world, mm. both from gay men and straight men, that yeah. it can be, you know, really quite a toxic environment. But obviously there were men like yes. your dad who were make who who were who would you know would make girls go home from work and go, I had a really nice day today. You yeah. Know? I think it's like a level thing as well. Like I think that hyper successful level mm-hmm. is quite toxic. But yeah. I think there's actually a huge section of photography which is work a day photography. No, none yeah. of it's any better or worse than the other, but like it's um Jobbing. It, yeah, it's actually like, it was like a big old family. I loved it. You go to the studio, I would go to the studio and there'd be like, you know, pictures being taken, but everyone would have lunch together, like a table of 15 people. We'd mm. all have a laugh. And like, I remember once when I'd go into his studio and they were doing a shoot and the model had just had her hair done. It taken like two hours to have her hair done. And they were using a fan somewhere to do, to blow her hair around. And I was like, I know, I'll be helpful. I mean, I think I was seven. And I got the fan and turned it on behind her. So all her hair just blew out over her face and ruined the hair and had to start again. And I remember oh, being like, no. hey, maybe I shouldn't help with the hair anymore. <laughs> maybe I'm not going to be a hairdresser. <laughs> no, no way. So were you aware of any sort of hardships that your godfather, Gavin, had because of his sexuality? Or was that sort of shielded from you as well? Oh, totally shielded from me. Mm. I mean, I don't, he never knew I was gay. He died before I came out. Right, okay. So, but I mean, I'm sure he probably, you know, could spot a fellow traveller. But it was, <laughs> you know, no, that was never discussed. Mm. And I, I mean, hang on a second. Gavin would have known I was gay because I was wearing dresses from the age of three. So sure. maybe two. So, um, you know, he, maybe his interest might have been piqued in that direction. Were your parents... <laughs> very supportive of you sort of expressing yourself in that way yes like I wore dresses and I grew up with my sister and then this other family down the road called the Perfects, and there were four girls incredible yeah and it was me and them all the time so right. it was me and five girls all the time mm-hmm. and it would always be like we'd be playing princesses and they'd be like you have to play the prince I was like I am not playing the Prince thing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one of them pink dresses. I'm having that. They'd be like, oh, God. So I grew up in that kind of environment. And I, you know, like I had dolls and stuff. And I remember my dad taking me to go and buy my first doll and whatever. Some kind of, you know, very girly doll that was mm. the doll of the moment type thing. And they never, ever said anything to me about it being strange. And actually... I've spoken about it quite a bit. And it's funny how you don't feel different about things at different times. I'm clearly in a good mood today. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I think the the shock came for me was when I kind of was in this quite very liberal existence with lots of girls. And then I went to this like quite intense boys private school. Right. And 
you know, that's what my parents wanted to do. And they worked really hard to try and create that opportunity for me. Listen to me being all political in my wording. But it, I don't think it was the right place for me at all. I was not right. that boy. And I, it was a real shock when I arrived there because I was sort of... Did you board? No, it was a day school. But it was just really aggressively heterosexual and pretty homophobic. And they just took one look at me and were like... And I was like, oh, I'd never realised that what I was was different, I suppose. Mm. And so that was quite intense. Did you then go through a phase of trying to assimilate yourself to them? No, I didn't. I I think it was a bit more weird and complex. Like, I think I went into this kind of like internal trauma of not knowing what the hell to do. And I didn't feel like... I remember like, so I've had... 15 years of therapy now and like one of the first things I ever remember saying in therapy was like I felt in that school like I was behind enemy lines like it was just Mm. felt like whoa and I could never relax and actually this week on the podcast we were talking to Johan Hari about how LGBT kids can't relax at school and what that does to you because you're just you know and there's very many different versions of that yeah, like what it does to your nervous system physically. Yeah, because you're on fight or flight the whole time. So it made me, it just made me become really loud and really sort of trying to show off all the time and trying to make sure that I could succeed in the social ranks of school. And I was pretty mean to people. And, you know, I was a kid and all the rest of it. But like, I was definitely processing a lot in quite a strange way, if mm. you know what I mean. And you kind of realise that like, kicking out is what you do when you're not happy. And like, I found a load of my school reports and it was so damning, my school report. It was just like, he doesn't listen, he doesn't this, he's like clearly good, but he doesn't da 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 And I just read it and was like, you know, obviously it's me, so I know myself, plus I've had therapy, but I was like, this was a really unhappy child. This should have been pretty clear to everybody. And yet they didn't do that they didn't try and adapt because it was one of those places where it's like we create a certain kind of kid and he doesn't match up to that so he will become the flotsam because we want you know kids to go to oxford that's a lot there's so much pressure to put on a child Mm. and i think that it's something that's come up before for for me as well in that uh, when you're being like the loudest or the most outrageous it's like I'm going to do something so that you can't say something about me like I'm taking ownership of this Mm. so that you can't come at me yeah so you know fight or flight Mm -hmm. so there's other thing called fight or fawn which is similar so if you are feel that you're in extreme danger you can either fight as in have a fight flight Mm. run away or fawn which is massively grease up to the person you're with in the hope that they don't destroy you and it's very common with lgbt people that they will go for fawn for whatever reason and they are trying to feel safe and in a way like i was aware i couldn't beat these people on strength because i was just i was just i don't know i'd ever punched anyone um but i I was aware that I could succeed in social, I could become king of the social thing. Mm-hmm. So that is what I set about. Not like I had this plan, but in retrospect, you realise kind of what that what you were doing. Yes. I knew there'd be safety in that if I was the one who was friends with everybody. Yes. Um, but it ate me up and it was just like, it wasn't necessary. I should have been able to just be myself. And it's exhausting trying to do exhausting. that because 
I've I've done a lot of that in the past and even in sort of not really recently but definitely in my adulthood as well mm, where I've totally, tried to you know you putting on so many different hats for so many different people where you go oh, I'm kind of like this with that person I'm kind of like that with that person and mm. this person the whole of my 20s was me doing that yeah and it wasn't really until I met my wife when she was like you need to just calm down <laughs> that's lovely you need yeah. to just like you're great just just yeah. just do that just do this one just do this version of you this is who you are mm. because it is oh so hard to not get especially in school like wound up in that whole like status game mm. and survival yeah and you know you you are very used to going into spaces and taking the emotional weight of the room mm-hmm. you know like and being like walking in and be like okay how do I swim to the top in here you know yeah. and that's often being funny but that's fucking exhausting mm-hmm. and it I, I don't do that anymore and I think that's age and I think it's a bit of therapy I wouldn't I can't say I don't do that anymore it's not true because I did something like it yesterday like, <laughs> god you were so like over pleasy with everyone yesterday why did you do that but I do think I kind of feel it happening and then start to like wheel it back I don't think you're ever going to change but I think you just sort of aware of what you're doing and when and this is going to deplete me and this isn't necessary and you kind of Mm. or you find yourself a bit more of a guide as to how to behave that is nutritious for you yeah you're absolutely right did you stay at that school until you were 18 yeah so then and then it was it then that you went on to Bournemouth then I went to Bournemouth uni and did tv production at Bournemouth uni and lived on the sixth floor of a five-story car multi-story car park (laughs) what (laughs) I was like, where are the halls of residence? They were like, they're there. It was like, that's a multi-story car park. And they'd built like this sort of shack on top. And that's where we lived. And also like, listen, anyone listening in Bournemouth, I salute you. I had a lot of fun there. But I decided I was gay as I was on the M3 out of London towards Bournemouth. And I was like, I should probably be heading the other direction. (laughs) Because... If you want to be gay, it's a lot easier in London than it is in Bournemouth. It was a lot easier in London than it is in Bournemouth. Did you find gay friends when you were at Bournemouth? Yes, because everyone kept coming out. So actually my friends who were allegedly straight at the beginning, lots of them were out. But one of my friends, Amy, there were two, Amy C, we called her. She was out when I met her and I wasn't. I spent the whole of the first year in the closet being like, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, but she was out and she'd done that very smart thing of like, I'm going to go to uni as gay. You know what I mean? Yes. Very smart. Obviously, I meant to do that, forgot. Um, <laughs> and... On the M3, that was the plan. But then when you saw that you were living in a shack, you thought, I've got bigger things to deal with. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> Did you go to uni? I went to drama school. Did you have halls? No, we all lived in like houses nearby. So I've never had that experience. Because the first day you were supposed to leave your door open so that people could say hi. And I was like, slam, not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, fuck that. But Amy C was out and was a couple of years older than us, actually, as well, I think. I'm remembering my own internalised homophobia. Like, she freaked me out that Mm. she was out. You know what I mean? Well, not she freaked me out. It freaked me out that she was out. Oh, God, yeah, it's threatening. Yeah, totally. Because you're going, you're okay with this and I'm not. And it's making me really aware that I'm not okay with it. The level of internalised homophobia is crazy. And actually, 
I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, about round about that period of my life, how all I used to do is, and I'm aware this is madness, but I'm just sharing it because it's good to be honest. My entire MO for dating people was that I would find a man who was straight acting and that they would find me straight acting too. That's what I wanted. It was like, because that way, then I'm not really gay, right? You know what I mean? And it's just so, I was just remembering it. I was like, God, I used to just, that was what it is. And and to have come so far from that is a wonderful thing. But Mm. you come along from it because I've been really lucky and lots of things I've encountered and da-da-da. And a lot of people don't get beyond that. And that's not their fault. You know, I totally understand the internalised homophobia. Do you think that was from school for you rather than from home? Because obviously at home you must have known that it was okay to be gay and to know gay people and... Yeah, it was absolutely from school. I think it was also from watching friends, like gay people were the butt of the joke, you know, like... Yeah, just being in the world. Yeah, yeah, like it was was that. And there was something in it, if I'm really honest, about like it didn't feel like I was winning, you know what I mean? Mm. And like gayness wasn't winning, which is the biggest oversight of my entire life. And there's been a few, let me tell you. Like being queer is the best thing that could happen to anybody as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, same. But you want to conform at that Mm -hmm. age. And also, like, you are a certain kind of person. You have to sort of allow yourself the... Don't be too hard on yourself is sort of the thing I think about that because I am have been very hard on myself. And it's like, some people do just want to float into the background and conform. And that's not so bad. Like, because I... One of the hosts who I used to do Homo Sapiens with is Alan Cumming. And Alan is just so, he inspires me every day. Like, you know, he's so out and proud and always has been and sort of just can do it. And I'm, we always used to talk about, like, on the show, not not off air type thing. You know, it's just like, God, I wish it would just be my first instinct. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mine is to, like, conform or be apologetic or... You know, and and I actually think that's way more common, that experience personally. But I think there was a lot of that going on. You know, like I didn't I didn't want to, but but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Do you remember the moment that you realised that when you first noticed a boy <laughs> or a man? Well, there was this boy called Chris who I'm trying to think how old I think I would have been five or seven. But definitely not six. yeah because it was this school that I went to that I went to and then left and then went back fine it all adds up yeah all adds it stacks up your honor Um, (laughs) and he was called Chris and he was playing football on the other side of the fence of I was in like the kiddie kiddie playground he was in slightly more grown up I think it was like 11 or 9 but I remember fancying him and I remember him slightly fancying me back which is very weird for a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, but there you go. You Memory's a funny thing. But I remember there being chemistry, I suppose, and I remember thinking he was amazing, but it wasn't sexual. It was just no. infatuation of some description that mm. was not like the other boys were doing. <laughs> they were like walking up to each other and thumping each other. It's interesting <laughs> you say it wasn't sexual because I think that's a real issue for queer people. Yeah. So frequently, all of our identity (laughs) is boiled down to sex it's it's about sex it's about like it's about you know all of this stuff that's happening in america at the moment which is like them reintroducing (laughs) section 28 in some states 
where you can't mention gay be, people being gay and the right wing would have you believe that they want to tell you how gay people are having sex when in fact all they really want to do is say molly's got two mummies they call it sexuality and it's not it's so much more would you call it identity if you had to find a word for it do you think i've never thought about this weirdly what i think is this the thing that has messed with my head the most has not been my gayness it has been gender and i say that as a gay man i identify as a gay man but i've never really had an issue with i don't think it's been the gayness it's like there's something sort of more profound within that about identity and gender which has always completely mystified me the only way i can describe it is it's like water and everybody drinks it, it doesn't taste of anything but to you it tastes a bit tangy and everyone and you're like can you taste that and everyone's like no and I think that like you're like oh okay because it's quite fundamental or like air breathing tasting like something like it has gender and who we are I've never felt is binary and I've never felt myself to be binary but on top of that I also fancy men but I don't think that I relate to just man I just have such a distinct memory of um, being in a newsagent and this woman standing behind me with her child. And she said, oh, let the man pass. And I think I was probably 13, 14. And I was like, how weird that she called me a man. Like, how does she know I am? And like, I've just never felt it's that simple. And I suppose Mm. that's much more about identity than sexuality is the reason I bring it up. I think that's really interesting. I think so many people have a, a similar relationship with their gender yeah because it's it's not binary for so many people no and i think we've just been tricked (laughs) into being like it's a girl by pink yeah and shorthand shorthand's great but shorthand also can punish a lot Mm. and i was thinking about this just this morning is like i was thinking about trans people's rights being discussed and i thought isn't it funny how trans people the only people making an issue about trans people is cisgendered people Mm -hmm. so if they wanted the issue to go away they could do that it's in their hands they're not trans people aren't doing anything no it's so funny that they're creating the furore and that's part of the shorthand thing it's like what do you mean there's a no you either are a man or you either are a woman it's that simple and it's like why? Why is it that simple? Mm. I don't understand it. It's based on nothing. And, yeah, I, you know, and I also will qualify that statement by saying I'm extremely lucky because I'm a male presenting white man. Like, I don't, no one chucks shit at me. But I, I, at the same time, I do fully understand people who are having, you know, things further along the line in that, you know, that, that spectrum I think we all mm. sit on. Can we talk about the fact that you're expecting a baby? We can. We absolutely you have can. Have to talk about that because I feel yeah. like gender is something that, as you know, I have a little girl. Yeah, and it's interesting how gender plays a part in a toddler's life. Yeah, like you know, people saying like, "Oh, put her in a dress." Mm. Oh, she's always in. You know, we put her in like these adorable tracksuits a lot of the time, with, like mm. animals all over them, and just because yeah. you know she just wants to like run around and. Yeah. No, she doesn't want to look pretty and prim. She doesn't want to, mm. because she wants to crawl through a tunnel. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting how gender is thrust upon us. 
at such a young age. Yeah, and I had quite an interesting conversation about this the other day in that respect because, so, you know the Guilty Feminist podcast? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we did a crossover with them. So we did, like, the Guilty Homo, we called it. And we talked about, like, Guilty Feminist is I'm a feminist, but we did... I'm LGBT, but, and I was like, I'm a gay man, but I love going to B&Q, for example. <laughs> and, and then I said, and then I was talking about what would my, if I am, if I had to do, I'm a feminist, but I was like, mine would be, I'm a feminist, but when I was a kid, I used to wear bright pink dresses, loved a sort of magic wand, loved all that kind of hyper girly stuff, which mm-hmm. actually is a bit toxic, that stuff. Yeah. But I don't regret it because I loved it at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and Deborah Francis White was like, well, you know, I think that it's great to have those pink dresses and, and stick that pink frock on. As, as she was talking from a female perspective, like you want that. But the time it becomes problematic is when it's like, but that's all you are and that's yes, all you absolutely. can do. Yeah, And I feel like that with having a kid is like, if if they have the instinct like I did to stick on a pink dress, go you got to go for it because because you feel great. Yeah, because it feels great, and I can tell you because I've done it. And <laughs> glitter and the whole shebang, and you feel glamorous and alive. And obviously, that does also speak to the oppression of women and all those things. But let's learn about that. Let's learn about what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. You know, not when they're two, but they're, <laughs> they're going to walk off halfway through the sentence. But like, it's like. It's about understanding all of that. That's what I feel like I'd like to bring to parenting. You know, but what do you think? You've done it. I'm on the press of I don't know. I mean, I'm still learning. I feel like I'm learning every day. But I think all you can do is just give them all the options to, to, to be themselves. Just just yeah. affirming whatever they do. Unless it's like bad behaviour. Like occasionally she throws things at the cat and I have to be like, <laughs> we love the cat. We love the cat. You love the cat. We love the cat. It's so funny because also I think what's so interesting about parenting of young kids is like you, it's not just you and the kid in a vacuum. It's like you and six other kids with six other parents with six other takes. Yep. And most of the time the takes are a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And it's like, oh, so so so-and-so is having a pink princess party because she wants a super sweet 16 and, you know, like, like... I don't know, like, I'll just spit it out. Like, I can't bear some of that stuff. You know, like, you know, oh, mummy, daughter, princess time and stuff. And you're like, I'm sorry, this is really, really damaging. And, but, you know, then your kid comes home and they want mummy, daughter, princess time, you know? And it's like, we don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Or do we? Yeah, or do we have to now? Mm. Because that's what she wants. Yeah, it's interesting. Was it a long journey into becoming parents? Actually, let me ask first. Mm. Was being a parent always something that you wanted? No, it was um, something that I did not think could happen for me. Right, yeah, same. I just thought, oh, I won't have kids. Mm -hmm. And then I thought that I would like to do it. And I thought William, my husband, would be an amazing dad and, Mm -hmm. you know, or amazing parent. And then we sort of talked a lot about the various routes and like did we want to adopt did we want to do surrogacy did we want to foster and all of those things and you know one of the things we said is that we would definitely do the version that we both felt really confident about Mm -hmm. and 
William didn't feel so confident about adoption for the first child. That's that. Like, as in, it's as, it's as simple as that. And mm-hmm. we were like, let's not diverge at this early junction. So let's pursue surrogacy. But I would love to adopt in, in the future. I would simply adore to. And um, I'd love to have that kind of... I, th- I think family is whatever you make it, is what I'm trying Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. So that's where we ended up. How wonderful. Are you ready? Are you ever ready? No, never. Uh, yeah, I am. I feel like, so, you know, I work on TV shows and we often talk about like when you're making, before you make the show, it's called pre-production. Yes. When you make it, it's called production. And I keep saying to William, we're in pre-production here. Yeah. So it's weird because it, you're in this funny vacuum of, of preparation while none of it's happening. And actually, like you've got to plan for a version, but absolutely understand that version will go straight out the window. As soon yeah, as absolutely. It yeah. But you have the equipment, literally, baby milk warmers, to adapt and bend and let it develop and grow. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And it's so lovely to know other gay parents and to have, Mm. like, you know, a network of people. Well, we'll have play dates. Absolutely. To have networks of people that are like you. Like, I feel like it's such a positive step for everyone, for the future. Yeah, and we're in the Cotswolds and actually really sweetly queer parents from around us have messaged saying, let's hang out. And yeah. I will be taking them up on that. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really nice. Oh, I could talk to you for hours. Well, you know, this is just the, simply the beginning. This season. is simply the beginning. Everyone that comes on the show, I ask them the same question. Yes. And maybe we can think about the version of you when you first showed up in Bournemouth and you were like, Amy C, stop talking about being gay. It makes me feel weird. Um, So maybe you're giving some advice to that version of you or indeed it could be someone that's listening that is in a similar place in their lives right now. If you could reach out to them Mm. and give them a bit of advice or just pop your arm around their shoulder, what would you say? I would say it's tough enough already what this inner turmoil, like give yourself a break if Mm. you feel like you don't want to say it right now. And if you don't know exactly what you are and because it's hard and it is stacked against you, the world is stacked against people in this position, Mm -hmm. more so when I was 19 arriving in Bournemouth than today, because basically because there wasn't Instagram, Um, but (laughs) you know, and where you could find other people like you, but like, don't feel like you're broken because you're not. And you are going to fucking love it. When you come to terms with it and you start meeting people, you're going to have the best time ever and it will be a nutritious life well lived. And I wish that you could know that in this moment. Perfect. What a perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Oh, thank you, Susie. That was the wonderful Christopher Sweeney. I love him. I keep calling him Christopher. I mean, I kind of call him Chris in real life. Either way, I think he's brilliant. As I said before, check out Homo Sapiens. It's a brilliant podcast. And I'll be back with you next week. If you want to get in touch, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. And as I said, I'll be back next week with the final episode of this series. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.